appreciative for all of this. Thank you very much. Pray with me if you would. Thank you, Father, and thank you just doesn't seem enough. But with our hearts, we do say thank you. We're so grateful. Lord, help the attitude of gratitude to always be the fragrance that you receive when we come near. Bless this time and bless your word to our hearts. And, and we thank you for all those, Lord, who gave their lives so that we can have this book and that we can have your presence, your power. Use this moment, Father, I pray, in the furtherance of your purpose in our lives. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, and the first 12 verses, um, I'm always afraid I'm going to finish my message and not read my text. Um, I, that's terrible, and that has happened, I think. I'm not sure. And so I'm going to read the text before I get into any of my introductory remarks um, because uh, I, I, I tried hard to remember if I actually read my text last night. I read one of them, I think. Anyway, and it's not that it's not important. Uh, the fact is I've been reading it and studying it, but I'm... Anyway, let me go on. Uh, I'm taking up my time. Um, Matthew 5.1, New King James. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'll read a little bit further. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Praise God. I uh, <clears throat> have talked about as... We all have the kingdom of God, God's government in our lives and in the earth and over all things. And uh, I talked about the fact that the kingdom is in the king. It's in Christ. It's in the Bible. It's the message of the word of God. And uh, it's in the Holy Spirit. 
And uh, so today we'll talk about, to me, the most difficult part, which is the character of the kingdom and the character of kingdom people. Thank you for uh, making my birthday uh, a very good one. I'm kind of like Paul now. Some esteem one day, some esteem the other, and some esteem every day alike. It's kind of that way with me now, but I thank you for thinking of it. I don't actually remember when I was born. Uh, and I wondered, if I had, what was I thinking? Uh, uh, birth is a transition. I wonder if, if, if the baby thinks it's actually dying. It's uh, been being pushed out of a comfortable place into the unknown. Birth is a tough time. I think that's why we don't remember it, is that God fixes it so we don't remember what it was like. Um, my granddaughter that uh, my son and daughter that I live with had um, was born C-section. And her mother <coughs> was in labor 24 hours. And uh, they decided they better take the baby or they'd lose the baby and the mother. My son, um, they only have one child. That's all they could have. And it was a miracle that they had that one. And uh, my son would talk to the baby before it was born. And, um, and uh, you know, build a relationship. And he did a little thing. I, don't, I can't do it exactly like he did. And it seems a little silly. But remember, he was talking to an unborn baby. But he would lean over by his wife's stomach and go, doo 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 And... Um, I never did that, but he did that. I'm just showing you how he did it anyway. Um, so the mother and the baby were in labor. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I can't imagine how hard that is. Um, I can't even remember the comedian's name, but she said it's like grabbing your bottom lip and pulling it over the top of your head. Anyway, uh, sounds about right. And so, and, and they had birthing suites, you know, now. And when, I, when, when our kids were born, didn't have them, <laughs> thank God. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so uh, he was in the birthing suite, and finally they decided to take the baby, and he told me, he said, you know, it was a lot more uh, difficult surgery than I thought it would be. C-section is, is not minor surgery. And um, he said, uh, when they brought the baby out, excuse me, I just got an itch here. Uh, she was exhausted and flailing around. He reached in, took the baby out, and she was uh, scared, nearly dead. And he went, doodle doodle doo, and she focused on him and found peace. The thing that brings us through our transition is it's the same voice on both sides of the experience. We really need to know the voice of God. Uh, I was uh, 20 years old when I started pastoring. I wasn't nearly ready. Um, and I'd never seen a newborn baby in my life. <coughs> and... Um, a member of our church was going to have a baby, and so 
I, I realized I should be up there with her and her husband. And so I went up there and got there just as the baby was being born. And the father was so proud, naturally. And uh, they brought the baby into the nursery and, uh, you know, had the baby in the whatever it is. And, <laughs> and the, the dad said, I want you to come and see my, my son. He said, he looks just like me. And I looked in there, and I, he looked like a lizard to me. I mean, I, I wouldn't tell anybody that that looked like me. And, of course, I was told that in birth, people get their head out of shape. Uh, babies' heads get twisted around and, you know. And I think, you know, that's a spiritual truth. That when we're going through transition, it's easy to get your head messed up. And you have to be careful of that because you're being squeezed. You're being pushed. And the past is closing in behind you. And you can't go back. And you're going into the unknown. We need to, to realize that Jesus <clears throat> was born into a transition. Um. If you can imagine, you know, the Olympic circles, the symbol of the Olympics, or, or if you're an automobile fan, the Audi symbol, the interlocking circles. If you can imagine that the circle represents an age, a large period of time, a millennium or something, and they interlock, and where they interlock, there's a space that's part of the old and part of the new. And some people are living in the past and some are living in the future. It's a changing of tides. If you're a nautical person, one of the most dangerous places is where currents and tides collide. If you run an inlet and the tide is going out but the wind's coming in and you're on the wrong side of that, you can capsize real easily. Um, the, and I'm, I'm, I'm opening up too many files here, but um, I believe we live in a change of seasons now. I think there's the past that it's easy to live in. We know our traditions. There's the future that's the unknown, and we're being squeezed. And you can either see it as a death or you can see it as a birth. And it's important which way you see it. And as Tom told us, it's important to see it with joy. And it's in that period that character becomes evident. And character becomes very important, vitally important. And I can't think of a, a characteristic that helps more than the characteristic of joy. And I believe, again, it's the joy of the Lord that he gives us. And it's a spiritual thing, not a circumstantial thing. Um, and I, I love to laugh. My father loved to laugh. And you could hear him laughing a long ways when he laughed. And, and I love to laugh. I'd rather laugh than cry. And sometimes you have to make the choice. Um, but um, when I first started flying a lot, I, 
I got up one morning and went to the airport, and you could just walk up to the counter and get your ticket and walk to the plane. It was pretty simple. <laughs> I, I don't want to lose my joy talking about what it's like now. Anyway, um, and I'm standing in line. It's early flight, and I'm not the best guy at 6 in the morning. Um, anyway, I, I just like to get through. I like to get through the process and sit down and go to sleep if I can on the plane. Um, and there's this lady that, bless her heart, nobody should be that excited and happy that time of the morning. <laughs> and she was made up like she'd been working on it a long time, and she sat there, I mean, she stood there in the line in front of me, and she wanted to chat. And um, I'm the minister. I'm supposed to be the people person, and I'm not, but she is, and she just wants to chat. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm glad when I get on the plane, I won't be sitting by her because I want to go to sleep. Well, guess who I sat by on the plane? And she wanted to chat. And I'm not spiritually sensitive that time of morning. Anyway, she's talking about her career and what she's doing. She's very excited about it. And uh, I'm trying to, you know, be a good Christian and... Um, and I don't mind talking to people on the plane, but at that time of the morning, it's a little bit. Anyway, um, but the longer she talked, the more I realized that she didn't have the joy of the Lord. And after a while, she began to just kind of talk about some problems. And in my stupor, I said, well, you have happiness circumstantially, but you don't have joy. And she said, What's the difference? I said, well, joy is a spiritual thing, and happiness is a circumstantial thing. She said, do you have joy? I said, yeah, I've got joy. <laughs> I want to say it's none of your business whether I, you know, I... But there is a difference. <laughs> Joy is something, it's not always evident, should be maybe, but it's always available. It's in your spirit. And uh, it is not a circumstantial thing. It's an eternal thing if it's the joy of the Lord. And uh, this, these contrasts that Tom was talking about, joy and suffering, um, and Paul says, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. We sorrow, but not like everybody else. Because we have um, promises and we have an abiding spirit. Um, my, my. I, uh, <laughs> we're in a transition. We're being birthed. And we're a little bit confused sometimes because we know what the Lord says. We know what we wish was that isn't. We don't know what it shall be, but we shall be like him. Among other things, we're in a refining process. Um, I don't know about you, but I have a long, I had and probably, and, and have a long, long way to go. Um, 
and I, I want to behold him. All authority, all peace, all righteousness, all joy is in him. He's the source of every good thing. He is, as uh, the Apostle Paul says, the fullness of God. And he demonstrated it. He didn't just have it. Acts 10, 38 says he went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Uh, so he is the kingdom of God. He is the fullness of God. He is the firstborn among many brethren. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is, he is, he is. If you then being risen with Christ, set your affection on things which are above where Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Now, that's a wonderful, beautiful verse of Scripture. But in transition, it's kind of hard to keep your, your eyes on him because you're being squeezed. Sometimes you're being hurt. It's a difficult time. Sometimes you want to lash out at the situation. Well, you may not want to, but I have wanted to. And um, in the meantime, we're thinking about what does he want in us? Uh, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And I appreciate June's interpretation of that. Um, and we, we need to be violent in the sense of, of being forceful in um, contending for what Christ has for us. But it's easy sometimes to get violent in other ways uh, when you're going through this process. Now, I, I'm, I, hope, I hope God will help me to make this clear to you what, what I'm trying to say because I believe in a transitional period, which I really believe the church is in, and some of us are in yesterday, and some of us are in today, and some of us are in tomorrow, but in this period of time, we're being refined. That's what this is all about. We're being prepared. Now, I think we should be concerned about the world. We should be concerned about the church. We should be concerned about others, and those concerns sometimes clash with our sense of peace and joy. Our love for others means that we grieve with them too. And um, so it's kind of a, to me, it's a conflicting time. I guess all generations could say something like that. But for me, it's a conflicting time. Put yourself again in Jesus' time. He comes into the world. He's born the Son of God. You talk about a transition. Here's uh, the Son of God being made flesh and dwelling among us. And um, I can't imagine his entrance into Nazareth and what people said and thought and so forth. Um, and, th and, and then as he began to be aware of his father's purposes, and uh, I, I'm sure that was a process, uh, and aware of the time in which he lived, because uh, as a baby he wasn't prophesying, uh, he's growing in his father and in, in, the, in the understanding of his father's plan. And I, I don't talk a whole lot about the Trinity because it's a mystery. I don't want to get myself in trouble. But um, here he is, his father, you know, by 12 he knows he must be about his father's business. He's discussing the law and so forth with the rabbis. And um, 
And then we, we see him again when he's 30 years old, and he's fully aware at that point of, of, the, of the purpose of the Father. And, and he sees where Israel has been, and he sees where it's going. You know, sometimes I wish God wouldn't show me anything. Because if you see something and you try to tell people and they don't see it and sometimes can't see it, it's a very difficult and painful thing. Um, and sometimes you have, to, you have to realize that God is behind it so that you don't get your feelings in it too much. Um, and I, <laughs> because everything you see, you're accountable for. And you have to be faithful to it whether they like it or not. And, uh, you know, I used to be eager for revelation. <laughs> I might, might have been a little proud of it. I don't know. But, um, but I reached the place where I said, Lord, if you don't mind, I, I want to keep a good relationship with you, but I don't want to know much more about the future and all that. He said, go, go tell some other idiot um, about all that. Um, and I used to understand the future. I, I preached through the book of Revelation for an entire year, six months in Daniel, three, three months in Ezekiel before I realized I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> but people loved it. I filled up the church with it. We had charts all across the church. The reason we didn't have more prophecy is we didn't have a wider building. Anyway, um, So Jesus comes into this transition and he says, now this is what my kingdom is going to be like. His kingdom was going to be like him. In the midst of one of the most awful periods of history. It was the sunset of, of Judaism as they knew it. And it was the dawn of, of another age the age of the church, the age of the Gentiles. And <clears throat> Jesus could see it all. And he loved his people. He wept over Jerusalem. But he prophesied that the gospel of the kingdom would go to all nations. And one had to happen so the other could happen. The baby had to be pushed out of the womb. And uh, <clears throat> I can't imagine the pain of Jesus with his knowledge and his, his purity, uh, looking at his people and, uh, and desiring for them something that couldn't happen and knowing what they were going to do and the price they were going to pay and not being able to stop it. But we are, we are caught up in a vortex that we cannot control. We can control some things, sovereignty and personal responsibility. Mainly what we can do is to make our own choices. The, uh, the Bible says that he went up on the mountain and his disciples came to him. I, I want to make something really clear. And to me this is so, so important and precious. The kingdom of God is a voluntary entrance. It's not coerced. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe God has chosen us, but I still believe you can respond or not to the call. I don't believe I'm a robotic religious person. 
And he, his disciples came. I don't, I don't really think the whole multitude came to him, but, you know, I wouldn't argue it. Uh, he saw the multitude. Maybe he had some remarks for them, but his disciples came to be close. They were drawn to him. And nobody can come to him except the Spirit draw. And one thing I try to be alert to is who is drawn to me and who am I drawn to? That's organic to me. Uh, I'm not too interested in getting locked into a whole lot of things that, where there's no spiritual drawing. Because you, what you do is you buy for yourself trouble. But if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and thank God that you're not drawn to everything because you can't handle it. And I've got to be careful. Um, and thank God that everybody's not drawn to you. Um, anyway, it's voluntary. Say that with me. It's voluntary. If you, if, you, if you enter the kingdom of God and you serve God, it's voluntary. You know, let me just say this. I, I have to be really careful. But I'm, I'm, I'm not kindly disposed toward Islam. And I realize there are different levels of people who, who are engaged in, in that religion. I have done a fair amount of reading. And I, I also have eaten with Muslims. There are some wonderful people that are Muslims. But Islam as an ideology and a theology, which is a mixture of political and, and theological, is a coercive religion. It intimidates. It's spread by intimidation and fear. And... Uh, the reason I'm saying that is I want you to understand something very clear. The difference between Christianity and that kind of an ideology is volition versus intimidation. Any, any ideology, now forget Islam, any ideology which is based on intimidation is not of God. God loved the world and what he wants from us is a volitional love. You know, I don't want a relationship with somebody that feels intimidated by me or feels like I'm leveraging a relationship with them. I don't want that. You know, I, 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 don't, want a, I don't want a relationship with somebody that becomes perfunctory uh, because you become a hi hypocritical person. And, and a lot of times that happens to us as Christians where we, we do things because we feel like we have to do it. You don't have to, you know. Um, again, it's not about rules. Um, you know, I can't imagine looking at my wife and saying, well, it's 11 o'clock Sunday morning. It's time to kiss. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and get this done. Now, I, I think she would say, we could skip it to next week. You know, um, <laughs> volitional, say it with me. Volitional. Your heart has to be in it. God says with your heart. All right. Now, here's the uh, principles that he gave his disciples. And um, uh, I'll just give you my interpretation. Um, and, and it's going to be rather shallow because you could spend the whole time on any one of them. But these are principles. I love principles because principles work for everybody. Principles are not prejudice. They don't care what race you are. They don't care what religion you are. The principle of gravity is not prejudicial. It's the same for me. You know, if a, if a, a black man and a white man and, a, and an oriental man jump off a building, they'll land about the same time. 
the principle of gravity doesn't care who you are. Now, principles, there's a Les Brown, who's a motivational speaker, an African-American motivational speaker, said something I'll never forget. He said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. Now, a lot of times people substitute methods, uh, principles, they, they get them mixed up. And um, methods are temporary. And sometimes we need to change our methods, but we should never change our principles. That is the kingdom principles. You can't sell your principles uh, and get away with it if you're building a house on sand. All right, let me give you these principles. One is the realization of spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. The word blessed, of course, means well-being, prosperous. Uh, it's a good state. It's a state of uh, growth and multiplication. Blessed. We have the power. We are blessed and we have the power to bless. We can bless others. Remember, when you say God bless you, something ought to happen. Um, so, blessed are those who are poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the way I, I see it is if if you understand your spiritual poverty, it's a humility. And he said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, except you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to know that you don't know. You have to realize your spiritual poverty. Now, it, to me, it doesn't mean just a moment in time realization. It is... A continual realization. Now, let's go back to our transitional metaphor. If you realize you're in a transition, you realize your spiritual poverty. Because you need God, you need His help in a way that is fresh. That's why it's important for us to stay on the journey. Once you become a settler, you don't have spiritual poverty. You know what you're doing. But when you're being forced into a whole new dimension, you don't know what you're doing. And you need God. And um, it's important, you know, as we get older, because I, I don't know how it is with you, but, but, but I like comfort. I like it the same. I don't, don't move my cheese, as that little book says. I, I want to know where it is. Don't change things. And yet, God doesn't allow that. Well, he might allow it, but he won't be pleased by it. But the moment I start saying, well, I understand this world, and I know how all this works, I don't need the Holy Spirit in the same way. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, I got up one morning. God doesn't usually speak to me uh, when I first get up. He speaks to me in a dream, uh, and sometimes he has to put you to sleep to talk to you. But but not actually in my consciousness. And the Lord said something to me that arrested me. He said, would you rather be a large part of something small or a small part of something large? And I thought for just a second, I said, well, I, I would rather be a small part of something large, I believe. But he didn't say to do anything. That was all he said. Just ask me a question. And I had this feeling like, God didn't want me to do anything. He would just asked, how many of you know if God asks you a question, there's a reason? 
And I felt like God was saying to me, I want to I move you into a whole different context. But I'm not going to tell you anymore. It's nothing for you to do. I just want you to ask yourself the question. Well, now, <clears throat> I'm 75 years old at the time, and I'm thinking, this means God's going to do something. And yet I'm not supposed to do anything. And when's he going to do it? You know, all of a sudden, all systems are on alert. Now, I'm not going to finish the story because it's not finished. I, I don't know all the answers to that. But the sense of moving reawakens your sensitivity to the voice of God. It was Israel's refusal to go on that caused them to die prematurely before they reached their goal. Now, when you're in a transition, sometimes you don't know whether to run backwards or run forwards or hide. Um, am, I, am, I, am I communicating to you a dependence on the Holy Spirit right now? That's what I'm trying to do. And Jesus, I believe, had this in a measure we could never know because he depended on the same Holy Spirit we depend on. And he's listening and he's talking to his disciples. Now, he's, he's preparing them for the age to come. In fact, we're all born of the age to come. Eternity is born in us. But they were born in, it in a somewhat different way. They were about to move into a whole new era. And he was telling, he wasn't, he wasn't whitewashing it. He, he wasn't. What's the right word? He wasn't, uh, he wasn't lying to them. He wasn't saying, hey, everything's going to be great. Now, he was saying, blessed are those that realize their spiritual poverty. Because they, they will, theirs is the kingdom. They will receive the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Personally, I believe it's mourning over the spiritual condition. If you go to Joel 2, the, it's mourning that always precedes the harvest. And uh, my, my, my verses, Psalm 126, 5 and 6, those that sow in tears will reap in joy. He that goes forth with weeping, bearing precious seeds shall doubtless, I love that word in the King James, doubtless come again rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. And the joy is in seeing the harvest even when you're having to sow in tears, as Jesus sowed in tears for the joy that was set before him. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn over their condition. They will be comforted. Um, blessed are those who are concerned. Now, now, now church, and, and I, I appreciate you allowing me, and I can feel it for the most part, you are allowing me to say what I think, and what I, what I believe. But again, I think the church needs to go into mourning. I think we need to go to Joel 2 and weep between the porch and the altar and grab hold of the horns of the altar and plead with God for deliverance. I believe that. I believe it's a very small percentage of the church that gets that. And we desperately need to. If we understood where we were in this journey, I think that's what would be going on. There would be fasting and praying and seeking God with a little more intensity than we do now, and we'd be less concerned about our personal circumstance. Um, 
let, let, me, let me hurry on. Oh, my goodness. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, which is the basis for repentance, by the way, and godly sorrow brings a repentance not to be repented of. And blessed are the meek. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under discipline. The picture of the word meek is a racehorse or a strong horse with a bridle. Meekness is bridle strength. We need to be strong. We need to be courageous. But we need to bridle our strength. Uh, I found that a difficulty. Um, boy, I don't have a filter on my mouth sometimes like I need. Well, it goes straight from my feeling to my tongue without going through my brain. Um, my daddy used to tell me, he'd say, son, he said, your mouth's in high gear and your brain's in neutral. You know, um, that's my humble stick. Anyway, blessed are those, well-being, prosperous are those who realize their poverty, who who are grieved about the condition and who have their strength because when you're in that kind of thing, you need to discipline your own strength. Now, I'm not talking about a weak, passive person who runs from confrontation. No, I'm talking about a person who loves confrontation. I mean, you know, Jesus could have confronted the whole thing. Oh, he could have upset history. Jesus wasn't weak. Anybody walk into the temple and turn over the money-changing tables and all that and drive them out with a whip is not weak. The one who with his word spoke everything <laughs> into him. How many of you know he needed a little discipline in that situation? Oh, man. <laughs> Woo. If, if he'd have got loose... <laughs> It would have been, we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be, nothing would have happened after that. It would have been over. I mean, we'd have had the second coming all in one wad right there. Um, blessed are those whose strength is under discipline, whose strength is under. Now, in a transition, you've got to discipline yourself more than normal because you're going to have more emotional reactions to what's going on. I'm not talking theoretically here. And I, 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 I can't communicate what I want to communicate. Um, I've made a couple of transitions in my life. And I'm not trying to impress anybody. And I'm reluctant to say anything because I don't want to lose my reward. But I'm a fighter by nature. I'm sure there are others of you out there the same way. I mean, <laughs> I don't put up with that crap. I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to be as ministerial as I can, given everything. Now, for some people, being sweet and meek, meek and mercy and all that, that, that almost comes natural. But not for me. Um, I, I got relatives that live next door to each other and didn't speak for 25 years. And that was Ken folks. I mean, we, we had memories. <laughs> you cross certain ones and they don't forget. 
And um, so you're going through stuff, and and uh, uh, we were talking last night. In 1979, Jim Jones did his thing. I had people write that I was a Jim Jones and put books all out in my neighborhood. My kids got spat on in school. I had crosses burned in front of my house. Now, I used to box. I'm a fighter. Uh, I don't mind a fight. Now, I'm trying to put it this in context. This is not about me. It's about Jesus. Whatever strength I had is a pittance. We're talking about Jesus who has all power. And his strength is under discipline. And he's walking this transition. And people think he's an illegitimate child. And his mother is whatever they might think she was. And his daddy and his town that he came from and so forth. And yet he does miracles. There's conflict. How many of you are glad that Jesus finished the course and kept the faith? Now, we are in a transition. Let's just bring this back to us. We're in a transition. We're not Jesus, but we're in a transition. Um, and we're going to have to take some stuff that we don't like to take. My father got fired from a church that he started in the bayous of South Louisiana. And he got fired because he prayed for the sick. Um, and, you know, you know that our denomination believed in healing. We just didn't believe they got healed. And um, that we prayed for them at the, at the hospital to get healed. But if they jumped up and said hallelujah, we'd run out. You know, it's just... It's an inconsistency you don't realize until you cross over. And anyway, he got fired. And another minister said something to him that I'll never forget when he said, he said, Vernon, my dad's name was Vernon, he said, don't defend yourself. He said, your enemies won't believe it and your friends don't need it. Jesus is a lamb led to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. Now, this is hard. I, I'm trying to be practical. It won't be as hard for some of you as it will be for others. I'm going back. We're in transition. We're walking into the age to come. We're, we're, we're leaving this overlap period. I don't know that some of us will live long enough to complete that journey, but it, others will, and things are going to be different in the time to come, keep your strength under discipline. If people talk about you, if they criticize you, um, if the government takes away your tax-exempt status, if they tell you you're going to have to marry a gay couple in order to stay in legitimate church business, whatever they do. And... You know, I, I honestly believe a lot of things are coming. I don't know if I'll live to see them all. I doubt it. But keep your strength under discipline. Um, <clears throat> I was in Romans 1. Romans 1 is a rough chapter. The early part's good. But it comes to that part where they're not thankful and God gives them over. He talks about all these things that uh, bring the wrath of God. And God does have wrath. 
And I usually stop at the end of Romans 1. But you know, chapter divisions are artificial. They were added later. And uh, I hadn't gone from Romans 1 into Romans 2 consciously. I know I hadn't read them. I had read the book of Romans. But it hit me when I got into Romans 1. Romans 1 talked about, you know, um, God giving them up to their vile passions and so forth. And then at Romans 2, he starts out and says, But who are you, O man, that judges another man? For you're guilty of the same thing. I said, Whoa, wait a minute. Let's go back to Romans 1 on the wrath of God on these people. <laughs> I hope I didn't lose the anointing. Anyway, um, and, then he, and then he goes on in verse 4 to say, Do you not know it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? Now, it's easy when you're in transition and people don't understand what's going on to react to the, to the environment and not reveal the goodness of God. And that's where the flesh dies and, and where the, the, the Holy Spirit reveals himself. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, not the judgment of God, not the criticism of the saints. It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance, and it's hard in some situations to reveal the goodness of God. Then, you know, he goes on in that same Sermon on the Mount, which I hope everybody will study, to say, love your enemies and do good to those that despitefully use you. Whoa. Um, I, and, and you can't fake it. How many of you know you can't fake it? I mean, you can try, but God knows a fake from the real. And he said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's his righteousness. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. A phrase that keeps describing God, God is good and his mercy is everlasting. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. I would just say this. If you want to make it through, be merciful. Mercy does a lot of things. It gets you unentangled from the situation Mercy oils the path that you're on. Mercy gets rid of the friction. Mercy puts you in touch with the heart of God. Blessed are the merciful. I, uh, I would just commend being merciful. merciful. Um, if nothing else, just to curry a little favor with God. Say, Lord, I'm I'm a rascal, but I wasn't good to that guy, and I could have hurt him. <laughs> I hope you noticed. <laughs> I know that's not right, but anyway, I tried. Okay, <laughs> blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Let me tell you something. Don't lie to God, and don't lie to other people about your condition. God hates guile. When I was in my transition in the, in the 60s and moving from my denomination into charismatic and all that, um, I went through a lot of heat. 
and my denomination put me on trial and so forth. And I sat with the fellowship committee. <laughs> you talk about a misnomer. <laughs> it should have been called the disfellowship committee. God help us if that's fellowship. But anyway, been there, done that. And, um, and oh, help me, I lost my track. Precious memories, how they linger. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you. Uh, anyway, I got voted on. If you've never been voted on, you missed the blessing. I, I've, I've, been, I've been voted on more times than uh, the president. Anyway, um, and I went away to a meeting and um, to get out of town partly, but it was an evangelistic conference and so forth. And I, I, I went away. I told my wife, I said, don't tell anybody where I am. I don't want any phone calls. Don't tell them unless it's an emergency. Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm away and phone rings. It's a member of the church. And I said, how did you find out where I was? And he said, well, I told your wife a little lie, a little white lie, but I want to help you. I said, wait a minute, what did you tell my wife? He said, I, I told her that this was an emergency. I said, you lied. Well, he said, I, I, want, I want to help you. He said, I want you to put this in my hands. I can help you. I said, I can't. He said, why not? I said, because it's in God's hands. And I'd have to take it out of his hands to put it in yours. Now, I said, if you want it in your hands, then you take it out of his hands. And he did. And I won't begin to tell you what happened. Bad mistake. <clears throat> it's. He was guileful. God at that moment gave me Psalm 37. I'd encourage you when you're going through stuff, read Psalm 37, study Psalm 37. You'll look at the wicked and they'll be gone, the Bible says. God laughs because he sees their day is coming. Don't take the situation out of God's hands. Cast yourself upon him. Now, some of this may not make any sense to some of you. I don't know. But to others, it'll make a lot of sense. When you're in a situation where you're tempted to deal with it, don't let guile get in your spirit. You're going to make mistakes. But keep yourself in the hands of God. He's merciful. Like David said when he numbered the people, and, um, and God said, well, okay, you, you, want, you want me to put you in the hands of your enemies, or you want to be in my hands? And God said, I want to be in your hands. You got mercy. And, and God exacted a toll. All right. Blessed are the peacemakers or the reconcilers. Now, when you're going through transition, it's hard to be a peacemaker, but take the initiative to make peace. Now, you can't always make peace because it takes two to tango. You can't always make peace, but you can be a, an ambassador of peace. You can offer peace. 2 Corinthians 5, first five chapters, really, of 2 Corinthians are about our business extending Christ's ministry of reconciliation. Um, and God hates sowing discord. Don't do it. Don't do it. God loves unity. He loves harmony. We can't talk about it, but um, don't sow discord. 
Now, uh, wow. And blessed are those that endure persecution. I see you kept that for last. Uh, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds. Say all kinds with me. All kinds. There's no limit to what people will say. All kinds of evil. And good people can say evil things. All kinds of evil against you falsely. Let's pray it's false. But even so, we need to be redemptive rather than, shall I say, judgmental or condemnatory. But when they're doing that, verse 12, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. In other words, you, you are going through what the prophets went through, and God's going to reward you if you'll keep on the path, keep your strength under discipline, realize your spiritual poverty and need, mourn over your own condition and not just theirs, and, and, and walk it out. God will reward you. Not because you're right, but don't allow the kinds of things that prevent God from rewarding you. And don't rejoice over your enemies when they fall. Um, wow. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know, but to me, this is, this is all tough stuff. This is, this is, the Sermon on the Mount is hard for me. Um, it's the character of the kingdom. We are salt and light. You all have done well, and I'm at the limit. Salt is not just a preservative. Salt is cohesive. It's what holds together. When I lived in the country, next to us, next to us was a, a pasture with cattle, and the boss, the owner, he said, uh, I want you to keep the salt block out there and take care of the water for the cattle and salt block. You could, uh, you could rain on it. You could, the heat could come on it. I mean, it stayed in all kind of weather, and it never came apart. They just finally licked it away. It's cohesive. You are the salt. <clears throat> if, if you lose your salt, you get, you become sand. And you get trodden down under the foot of man. We need to recover our salt. Because we're not as cohesive as we need to be. It's the scattering of Christianity. It's, this, it's the coming apart of relationships that's defeating us. It's not the enemy. It's our own condition. If we regain our salt, we can be light. We can be a city set on a hill. Well, the kingdom is a mystery. The kingdom is in the king. The kingdom is in the word. The kingdom is in the spirit. And the kingdom is taking us through a transition where we're going to become either sand or salt light or darkness.
I believe on the other side will be the light of the world. And I believe in a lot of places right now, the light is shining. And there are those that are salty. And they understand the real enemy is not the guy sitting across the church. Real enemies out there. Thank you. You've been a great blessing. God bless you.